Uh, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 10 this morning, Romans 10. If you want to go ahead and turn there, feel free to do that. Um, also, just a reminder, most of you know this, we have sermon notes in the seats in front of you if you like to jot notes down. Um, highly encourage you. Um, this is also a community group week. And so this will be one of those weeks where you're talking about um, the sermon. And so if you want to write down notes and take this with you to the community group, it's a good help. Like I always need tangible reminders of things. And so that might be helpful for you as well. Um, before we get into um, where we're going this, this morning for the sermon, before we open God's word together, let's pray and ask God to speak. Um, Father, we do bow our hearts and minds before you now, God. Um, we bow in faith, believing that you are real, you are alive, you are active, you are pursuing us. And God, we believe that you speak. We believe that you speak through your word, the Bible. We believe that you speak through your Holy Spirit. And so God, we're asking that you would give us hearts um, that are open to hear from you. Um, give us ears that are ready to hear truth. Um, give us minds that are, that are yielded in submission to you, God that we might hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are starting a new sermon series today. The title is one word, it's the word sent. And so over the next four weeks, we'll be talking about what we mean uh, by this word sent. Today, today we're gonna be in Romans chapter 10, uh, talking about what it looks like to live a sent life. Now we just kind of made, uh, made that up, that's not, in your Bible, that idea of a sent life, but I believe the foundation for those two words coming together isn't clearly in the Bible. But what we mean by sent life is living your life in such a way with such intentionality um, as one who has been sent on a mission. And we're gonna talk more specifically about what that mission is throughout the day, but, but just a, a baseline understanding of a sent life, it's one who lives their life intentionally as though they have been sent on a mission. In Romans chapter one, we're gonna start in verse one. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. It's a very simple expression from the Apostle Paul, but embedded in these few words, he says a whole lot. So he begins by saying, brothers. So the idea here is he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers, sisters, my heart's desire. So this is more than just something I hope happens. Like my heart longs for this. My heart's desire, my heart's longing, and my prayer to God is for them, so we're going to talk about who them is, is for them to be saved. Now, in context here, chapter 9 and 10 of Romans, in your Bible, um, the Apostle Paul is explaining some things about his heritage, the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is the primary people group um, that God interacts with, and, and Paul is a descendant of Israel. He's an Israelite, he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew. And what he's saying in chapter nine and chapter 10 of Romans is this, not everybody who is born of the blood of Abraham is going to be saved. Now, he's not just saying that in a matter of fact way, he's saying it through angst and through 
turmoil and through, I believe, in even tears as he says, listen, my heart's desire, my heart's longing, my heart is wrenching and breaking that they, the nation of Israel, might be saved. If we back up to chapter nine, um, we get some, uh, some more description of the nation of Israel and why it is that they aren't, not all of them will be saved. Verse three of chapter nine, Paul says this. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So that's a pretty big statement. If you track with what Paul's saying, he's saying here, listen, I want this so bad for you that I would be willing to give up my place in heaven to be cut off from salvation if it meant that everybody else would be saved. That's a big statement, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, verse four and five, they, he tells us who the they is, they are Israelites. And, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. And what Paul is pointing out here is this, not only is not all the nation of Israel being saved, but just to, to kind of double up on it, he's saying if anybody on the face of the earth should be saved, it should be you. I mean, you, you're the nation of Israel. I mean, to you, right, belongs what? The adoption, the, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. You are the one who God gave these things to. Not only that, Christ himself comes from your lineage. He was born as a son of David, a son of Abraham, a Jew among Jews. And if anybody should be saved on the face of the earth, it should be you. Verse six, he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel and not all who are children of Abraham, excuse me, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Now, let's understand what he's saying so that we might understand what he's saying to us. So here's what he's saying about the nation of Israel. It's not enough to just be blood related to Abraham. That's not what gets you into heaven. You have to believe the promise God made to Abraham. That's what gets you into heaven. Not all who are descendants of Abraham are his children. It is those who believed the promise. Now, what was happening in the nation of Israel, much like even the modern church today, is that they had kind of grown into this apathy towards God that simply because they were blood related to Abraham and they could prove that through their lineage, they were good to go. We're in, we're good. Just live life however we wanna live our life according to our own ambitions, our own mission, our own desires, because in the end, once we die, God's got that covered. How do you know? How are you so sure? Oh, because I'm a descendant of Abraham, because my dad was a son of so-and-so, who was a son of so-and-so, who was a son of so-and-so, and so I'm good. Now that was a first century struggle for the nation of Israel, but in the 21st century, we see that same struggle in the church today, especially in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, not solely in Fort Worth, Texas. It's happening all around the world, but Fort Worth, Texas arguably is 
the buckle of the Bible belt where everybody's a Christian and everybody's saved. And when you drill down into those individual lives and you begin to ask, you know, why do you believe that you're saved? Why are you, why are you good to go? Why do you believe that you're gonna get into heaven? You get things like, well, because you know, I'm pretty good. Oh, because my grandparents helped start this church out in the middle of nowhere and they were really good Bible-believing folks or my dad was a deacon or because I go to church every Sunday or because, right? And we get this list of all these good things, right? That we do to try to get into heaven, to try to bring us some assurance that in the end, when faced with whether or not we get to go to heaven or not, God will let us in because we've been mostly good or because we're connected to so-and-so. You see, we have very similar struggles, don't we, in the 21st century church. Uh, a, a guy that's become a friend of mine who's a pastor in Fort Worth, I've shared this with you, I think, before. He's only been here about a little over two years, and uh, he moved here from uh, the Northeast. And I was talking with him one day in casual conversation about how he was um, adapting to the Fort Worth culture and mindset, especially the church. And he shared with me his greatest struggle in Fort Worth, Texas, as it relates to ministry, is convincing people they're not saved. Now, that sounds like a strange thing to say. Why would a preacher want to convince somebody they're not saved? What he meant by this is he's just encountering person after person who thinks they are saved simply because of their heritage or because of their good works. And, and they have not yet personally made a decision to trust in Christ themselves and so he said, you've got to tear down all those walls so that a person can realize, oh, I don't get into heaven because my dad was a good old boy or because my mom sang in the church choir. I have to make a decision on what to do with Christ. And this is what was going on here as the apostles, Paul's heart was kind of breaking for the nation of Israel. They think they're good, but they're not. They think they're going to get in, but they're, not all of them are saved. Now let's ask the question, saved from what? Because I think this is another area where the, at least the 21st century church dilutes this idea. I think because of like the prosperity gospel, we dilute this idea of being saved to being saved from poverty or being saved from sickness or being saved from suffering or being saved from a hard life. That's not what we're being saved from. A matter of fact, many Christians, some of you today have been saved from and saved to things that are hard and difficult, Right? Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that you don't get cancer. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that you don't lose your job or that things always go well and that your children always behave and your spouse is always loving. Like, right? We haven't been saved from difficulties here on earth. So what have we been saved from and what have we been saved to? When we see the word saved in the Bible, we're talking about eternal destiny. We're talking about being saved from hell and being saved into heaven. That's what we're talking about. Now, here's the thing. Let's not just skip over that. If that's true, then that means there are people in our life who don't know Christ that if they were to die right now, would spend eternity separated from God. You follow me? So it's bigger than just being saved from a bad day. We're talking about being saved for eternity. And if that is true, there are people in our life right now, in your life right now, who do not know Christ, who do not know the hope that you have and have no reason to look to the next life with confidence, with assurance, with hope. 
And here's the thing, church, listen, we are never gonna become a people, a church living with the sent life mentality if we don't feel the weight of that first. But if we don't understand what hangs in the balance, what's at stake, then living a missional life will simply be a routine thing we do because we're supposed to, and it won't bear the same heartbreak and angst that we see here in Paul's life. His heart is wrenching. He's saying, not only do I believe this is true, that some of my very own family are are headed to, to hell, but I would willingly give up my place in heaven that they would be saved. Like that's driving his sent life perspective, isn't it? And so I I think this is true for us that as a church, as individuals, until we begin to feel the weight of what hangs in the balance, there's no hope of living a sent life. Now, verses two through five, the apostle Paul in Romans 10 talks about the struggle of the nation of Israel. Again, I think this is gonna closely resemble the struggle of the church today. He says in verse two, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since we don't use the word zeal a lot, he's talking about excitement. So Paul is saying, listen, I'll testify. They're, they're cheerleaders for God. They're getting, they get excited about God, but that's the problem, right? They don't believe in Christ. So it's not enough just to come to church, to get excited about God, to put on the t-shirt, to have your bumper sticker or all your little fish representing all your family members. Like those things don't save you. It might mean something to you and I'm good with that, but it doesn't save you. Like something on the inside has to happen where you trust in Christ and him alone. Just going through the motions, putting on the church clothes, trying not to cuss does not get you into heaven. So Paul says, listen, I can tell you, my family, the nation of Israel, some of the most religious people I know, they're zealous for God. But the problem is they haven't come to a certain knowledge. In verse three through five, let's read this, four, being ignorant of the righteousness of, excuse me, the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So what Paul is saying is here, they lack a certain knowledge. There are two ways, two avenues in which a person can become righteous. This is for you too, by the way. Here's the first avenue. Perfectly obey the commandments of God. For, For all of your life, not from this point going forward, for all of your life. Is anybody still in that, on that avenue? If so, hey, I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering you on. But I'm probably not gonna hang out with you today because you're gonna get struck by lightning. But I'm just kidding. I'm just, it was totally a joke, made it up. Here's the point, right? To exaggerate the point. Nobody gets there that way. Can we admit that? Like if you wanna go that route, then he says you have to live by the law. Every moment, every day, every breath, every second, every thought, every word, every action, perfectly in line, not only with the law of God, but with the heart of God, and nobody gets there that way. So there's either gotta be another way to get in or we're all sunk. 
And so he says, here's what they lack. They lack the knowledge of God's righteousness, that there's one way to get in through the law, but there's another way to get in through faith. And it's through faith in Christ. Galatians chapter three, Paul talks about this same topic. And here's what Paul says. Listen to these words as you think about being a lawbreaker, which we all are. Galatians three, starting in verse 10, Paul writes, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. What does he mean? If you're relying on getting into heaven through your working the system of the law, then you are cursed. Why? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So he's making the point. If that's your avenue to get into heaven, you're doomed because you got to obey it all. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by what? Faith, a different avenue to become righteous. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Look at verse 13. This is a beautiful promise. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We could just spend the rest of the day right here. What are we talking about the curse? You and I are cursed for not obeying the law of God perfectly. There's no way to get into heaven. So Jesus sent to earth to redeem mankind. He goes to the cross and becomes a curse for us. The curse that you and I deserve was transferred to him. He didn't break the law. He didn't deserve that death. He willfully took it though, the curse for us, and became the curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, as we begin to feel Paul's heart breaking for the nation of Israel because he wants them to be saved, now we begin to get a glimpse of what it means to live a sent life. To live your life on mission, to tell the people in your life who don't know the life-giving, hope-giving, eternal salvation message of the gospel that by believing in Jesus, you can be made righteous in God's eyes. That's what we're sent to do. That by believing in Christ, you can be made righteous before God. Now, I said this earlier, I think one of the reasons why more of us are not living sent lives is because our hearts are not breaking for those around us. So what do we do? So suppose right now the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart, maybe even like just kind of wrenching who you are on the inside and you're thinking about those people in your life. So, so what can you do? Is there any hope at all? What can we do to be a part of God's saving? Well, where Paul goes next in Romans chapter 10, verse nine through 13, he tells us how a person is saved then. So if it's not by being perfectly obedient to the law, then how then are we saved? He tells us, Romans 10. Some of you have this memorized. Verse nine, because if you confess with your what? That Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that's a very simplified expression of the gospel. It's not all of the gospel, but it's enough of the gospel. Now I'll tell you why. There's two things that Paul keys in on here, the resurrection of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus. Those are two really important components of the gospel. One, the resurrection. Why is that important? Well, but if there's no resurrection, all we have is a martyr. And guess what? There are thousands of martyrs. And Christianity is not the only faith that has martyrs. Okay? So something has to set Jesus apart from others who have died on behalf of what they believed in, and that's the resurrection. He's the only martyr who has overcome death. So, right, the resurrection is a critical piece of the gospel. That's why we sing about it. What's the other part? That he is what? Lord. Again, separating Jesus. He's not the first religious teacher. He's not the first popular religious leader to start a movement. But what separates Jesus from any other religious leader is that he is the son of God, the Lord of all. And so Paul puts it pretty simple, doesn't he? If we... If you, if anyone confesses with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And what a beautiful, powerful promise. He goes on to say, verse 11, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you notice the word call coming up there a lot and confess? So we're talking about a knowledge of Jesus that leads to an inward believing in Jesus that leads to an outward confessing of Jesus. I want you to think about that because that's going to come up again. So it's not the idea that me and Jesus, um, we, we hang out by ourselves and I am saved and I am good to go because I know in my heart that, that, that Jesus is the son of God. I believe it. I know it. I hold on to it. He's talking about this inward faith that compels us to outward words and outward actions. It's not just me and Jesus and, and nobody else. It's Jesus working in me in such a powerful way that I can't not tell you about it. And so it's not just everyone who has faith. It's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved from what? An eternal separation from God in hell and secured and guaranteed to an eternal Experience where you're with the glorious goodness of God in resurrected bodily form forever. Now, really where we're going today is just about to start, verse 14, because now we're gonna draw the connection between you sitting right here, right now, in whatever year this is, 2019, and what we're reading about from the first century if all that we've talked about today is true and all that we've talked about today is stirring our hearts and we're feeling the weight of what's at stake, now we read verse 14, 15, 16, 17. Listen. How then will they 
call on him in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or proclaiming? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Paul wants to draw a clear, convicting connection, right? Between my salvation and your salvation. You know, earlier today in communion, um, I encourage us all to think about how God drew us to faith in Christ. And for every person who took the opportunity to do that, surely people came to mind. Like we mentioned, parents, grandparents, friends, coworkers, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, pastors. God used people to draw you to himself. And that's what Paul wants to connect here. How are they going to call if they haven't believed? How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear unless somebody says something? How is somebody to say something unless they are what? Sent. He's talking about living a sent life. How will, he's asking this question, the nation of Israel be saved? We're asking how will the people in our lives be saved if you and I don't go? Now, here's what we need to understand about what Paul just laid out. This is God's plan to save the nations. There's not a plan B. But let's not make a mistake. It's not because God's wrists are handcuffed and he has no other options. And so he's coming to us, the church, and saying, guys, can you help me out here? I'm stuck and I need some help. And if you don't help me, nobody will. That's not at all what the Bible's saying. What we are saying today is that God in his wisdom and his goodness chose to work through us to save the nations. So we're not his only option because he has no other option. We are his only option because he chose us to be his only option. You follow me? One of the mistakes that we make is to say, well, as soon as I get this all figured out, then I'll talk more about my faith in Christ. As soon as I get all the Bible verses memorized, then I'll be more willing to start a conversation with someone. You know, the Bible tells us that when we, we go in faith and obedience to God, that the Holy Spirit will actually give us words to say. Do you know that? It's a promise. Whether you're standing before trial in the midst of persecution or you're standing before an unbeliever, you don't have to have it all figured out before you engage in that conversation. Matter of fact, I would say if you have it all figured out, hesitate on engaging in the conversation. It has to be a faith move, Right? And where does faith come from in verse 17? It doesn't come from your fabulous arguments, your ability to convince people. It's not even gonna come from your testimony and your story, though there's nothing wrong with sharing that. Faith comes from what? Verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing what? The word of Christ. That is what unlocks faith. So the person that you're talking with may not have faith, 
You can't convince them to have faith. What's gonna give them faith is just simply share the gospel with them and then put it in God's hands. You can't save people. I can't save people. I don't have enough faith to give you some of mine to get you into heaven. You have to believe. And the only way that you're gonna believe is by hearing the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God working in tandem with the gospel message in your soul in the depths of who you are begins to stir faith. Some of you right now are just now in the midst of that stirring. And you're beginning to ask questions that you've never asked before. And, and, and you're beginning to believe that things that you hadn't ever believed before. And what is that? That's God working in your life. It's not fabulous preaching or singing or a fabulous group of church members who are good at welcoming you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, working in tandem with the word of God. Listen, church, you and I are God's rescue plan to save the world. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter five, there's a few verses that talk about explicitly how this works. And I want you to hear these words. This is 2 Corinthians five, starting in verse 18. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's talking about our salvation. We've been saved. We've been reconciled to God. And then those who have been reconciled have been given this ministry of reconciliation. He says, verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Who did God entrust that to? Preachers and missionaries? All who've been reconciled have this, have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Look, it goes on. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That, that's representatives. Who are the ambassadors? You are. Right, we, we collectively as Christians are. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen to this phrase, God making his appeal through us. How does God make his appeal to the lost and dying world? Through you. Not because you have it all together, not because you're super cool and super spiritual, but because God made a choice. This is how I'm gonna to choose to reveal myself to the world. I'm gonna to appeal to the world through you. I love uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Um, you guys have heard this verse. If you've been around this church for a while, go therefore and make disciples of the nations. Um, the, the command in that verse is make disciples. Going is not, the, the command, it's actually the understood assumption. It's, it could be actually translated as you go, here's your command, as you go, make disciples. So when we talk about living a sent life, that word sent is in past tense on purpose. Think about it. Because the common church mindset is I'm gonna sit here until God sends me. He hasn't said anything about living in a hut in a third world country. So until he does, I'm gonna sit here and go about my business until he sends me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying what? You've already been sent. Some are gonna go to India. Some are gonna go to the Philippines. Most are gonna stay right here, but we're still gonna go, right? We're gonna go to work and to school 
to the grocery store, to the gas station, to Starbucks, to Home Depot, to Walmart. So this is about going with a certain intentionality where we we understand I have been sent. Which by the way will change, not necessarily where we go, but how we go. And so over the next three sermons after today, we're gonna work through practically what it looks like to live a sent life. I'll give you one example from a friend of mine. I have a friend, a really good brother, a close brother in the faith to me. Um, At this stage in his life, he's an elder in his local church. Um, But in high school, things were pretty rough. And uh, and I know it because I was in some of the same places he was in. And I'll never forget walking into church one day and running into this guy and thinking, oh my God, God works miracles, like truly. Um, But here's the short of it. This guy out of high school uh, started framing houses, worked for somebody else after a few years, went into business for himself, started framing houses. He'd been framing houses for the better part of a decade. He was really good at what he did. He worked for a particular builder who was a believer. On a Friday, they got rained out. And if you know in the construction world, you get rained out, you send all the guys home, nobody gets paid, everybody goes home. Well, this particular builder, called my friend and said, hey, if you wanna just go ahead and stop by the office, I've got your check ready. Um, I know it's rain out, you already sent the guys home, so just come by. And this, so my buddy, he stopped by um, this particular builder's office. He came in to pick up his check. And the guy said, hey, did you send everybody home? Yeah, well, I don't, I'm not going anywhere. Do you have anything, any place to be? No, well, why don't you sit down? I wanna, I wanna talk to you about something that's really important to me. And so he sat my friend down and began to share the gospel with him. And before he got up out of his seat, he had trusted in Christ as a savior. Now, that day just started as a rain out, right? But a Christian, not even a pastor or a missionary, just a Christian like you, looked at his circumstances of the day, looked at the people he was interacting with and said, God, how can I live the mission today? What does it need to look like today? He said, well, I've got a rain out. I got a framer who needs a check. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. So here we go. He's coming by the office. I'm gonna ask him if I can share my story with him. And so, right, just that's what it means to live a sent life. I'm gonna go ahead and let's land here today. And we're gonna come back next week and pick this conversation up and talk again more practically about what it looks like. You've heard already about the spring break mission efforts that we're gonna be working through as a church. Um, Nick and the mission team have been tasked to put together four days worth of things you can do in our community that are part of what you already normally do, part of everyday life, right? To to help tear down the stereotype that missions is a trip we go on so that we can begin to see mission is a lifestyle, the sent lifestyle. And through these various activities that you can participate in, right, we can practically see how to live this mission out in everyday real life in our community. And so I'm excited to see what God is gonna do through the sermon series and through our spring break mission outreach. But let's land here today because there's a couple of things. One, God may be stirring and kind of wrecking you in a good way this morning. You're thinking about people in your life who you need to have an intentional conversation with. Okay, Um, don't wait until you have it all figured out or have it all together. Remember those people who God used in your life and walk by faith and say, God, I just wanna be a part of what you're doing. So here I go, I'm gonna start a conversation. I'm gonna start with, how are you doing today? 
which may or may not segue into, can I pray for you? Which may or may not segue into, can I share with you how I deal with those kind of struggles? Which may or may not segue into, can I just tell you about how much Jesus means to me, right? We're trusting the Holy Spirit to guide that. We don't wanna have a script. We just wanna be a part of what God is doing. Others of you here today, you're hearing us talking about the gospel, unlocking faith and stirring in our hearts. And you're like, whoa, that's me. I don't think I'm ready for this whole sent thing, but that's me. I, I want in on that. I want to be part of the kingdom of God. I want into heaven. Maybe today for the first time you realize you can't get there by being good, by being generous and charitable. The only way you can get in is through faith in Christ and what he's done for you. If that's you, listen, we're going to pray that you would make that decision to trust in Christ today and be saved. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you and, and encourage you to grab one of our prayer partners um, they're in the room to pray with you and to talk with you. It'd be some at the front, some at the back. So when we stand to sing, I encourage you to get out of your seat, grab one of our prayer partners and let them talk with you about uh, trusting in Christ today. You can stay where you're seated as well. Um, some of you may want to stand and sing. You can do that. Let's pray together and let's respond. Um, Father, we thank you for, God, just a reminder of the glorious good news that we cannot get into heaven on our own strength. And that's good news, God, because we are weak. That's good news because we are broken. That's good news, God, because we are sinners. And we're so thankful, God, that by your grace and mercy, you've chosen to lay your life down for sinners like us. God, I pray today for the person who has not trusted in Christ as their savior, that today would be that day of salvation. Father, right now you can, you and you alone uh, can do that work. And so we ask God that you would continue stirring and speaking and convicting that person's heart right now and just drawing them into this love relationship with the God of the universe. For those of us who are Christians, God, we see clearly today that because we are saved, we are sent. And God, we also confess that we, for most of us anyway, God, we rarely if ever go about our normal everyday lives with that perspective Father would you teach us over the next few weeks what it looks like to live a sent life would you tear down stereotypes and barriers barriers of fear barriers of unstable self identity barriers of feeling like we have no knowledge or we're not religious enough. God, would you tear down these barriers in our hearts that we could see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. Pray this in his name.